Many of you are in between two places. Something uh, similar to what the children of Israel experienced. They were no longer in Egypt. Neither were they in the promised land. They were just kind of like in between two places. You've, you're kind of enduring the desert you're in, or you've already left a certain place, but you don't feel like you have yet arrived where you were going. And uh, so, I don't know if you've noticed, but from growing trees in your backyard to raising children, everything is a process. From educating yourself in scriptures to building covenant relationships, it all requires process. From building a company to building a legacy, nothing worthwhile happens overnight. As a matter of fact, you can fall into a ditch as you just, you know, it takes but a fraction of a second to slip on something and fall. You can fall into sin. All it was was one decision you made and bam, you're in sin. You fall into things that aren't necessarily all that good. But I don't know if you noticed, you have to actually grow in things that are good. Like you have to grow in love. You have to grow in character. You have to grow in understanding. You have to grow in wisdom. You have to grow in maturity. There is, as a matter of fact, nothing good that you don't grow into. And it almost like, seems like all things evil and bad are things that happen in but a split second. You just fall into it. But when it comes to godly things, divine things, good things, holy things, righteous things, it's a process of growing. There's definitely time connected to all of that. So there's nothing worthwhile doing with your life that doesn't require a process. And everything worthwhile exists on the other side of, let's all say it, process. Everything good, everything worthwhile, everything noble, everything righteous, these, all these things seem to take place on the other side of the branch. You might think, well, you know what, I'm going to plant trees and you might be a very um, hopeful farmer. Let me just tell you, sowing that seed, it takes a while before the promise comes on the other side of that branch, where before you actually have a fruit you can, pl- you can pick and sell or eat. Now, last week, <clears throat> Elder Dave <laughs> blessed us with a sermon on tests, trials, and temptations, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and he ensured us that every single one of us are either currently going through a time of testing, coming out of a time of testing, or are about to enter a time of testing. Testing and trials are things we experience throughout our lives in every stage and in every age. Not only tests and trials, but also temptations. Tests and trials, for most part from the hand of God, temptation always enticed by our flesh, the world, and the devil. Testing is God's process of moving you up and moving you out of where you're at. That is assuming that you are passing these tests, right? I love how Dave's, Dave showed us that there is an escape. The Bible says that he, was, he has given us an escape, but that escape is in fact you learning what you needed to learn during this time of testing, passing the test. Like for instance, the children of Israel, they wrote the same tests over and over and over again, yet 
They could never get out of the desert because they always failed those tests. And what I want to encourage you with today is, family, life is a process filled with tests, from test to test. Life is a series of tests. Life is a series of decisions. And what we have to do is we have to learn to pass those tests in order to move on. Otherwise, we too will be stuck where we're at for the rest of our lives. And some people don't like change. That's why they're stuck. They're happy in the desert. <laughs> they don't like to learn new things. They just want to be affirmed in all the things they already know. Just tell me how right I am. Forget all the things I'm wrong in. Just tell me how right I am all the time. But that's helping me stay where I'm at for the rest of my life. Hopefully, you and I both, in a year's time, next year this time, we will, have, we will know so much more than what we did do today. We will be so much closer to the Lord than what we are today. Hopefully, that's true for all of us. Amen? So the reason, the only way we can get to where we are at, to where we should be next year, is if we give ourselves to the process of God leading us, training us, building us, and raising us up. As Alex read Romans 5, 3, and 5, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. You see that process there from suffering to endurance. And then it says, and endurance produces character. We couldn't have gotten to character had it not been for endurance that we needed to go through, and we wouldn't have needed to endure if we weren't first suffering in some way, shape, or form. He says, so suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Only when you've gone through this process, there is hope on the other side. Only when you've planted, you've got a root, you've got a shoot, then you get a fruit, right? There's a process to getting where you need to be. And God uses process because it's His chosen means of growth. So Elder Dave was teaching us about tests and trials, and I'm telling you here today that tests and trials, as he taught us last week, is in fact from the hand of God for most part, and it is there for you so that you can fulfill, finish the process and arrive to where God has called you to be. And somebody might say, well, how do I know this test is from God? How do I know this trial is from God? Well, you don't know, do you? But I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't need to know. Because it doesn't matter what test it is you're facing. Uh, You've got to do, do the same thing whether it is from God or from Satan. You've got to pass that test. If it's a trial, like, ah, I don't have to... I don't have to uh, you know, do the right thing under this trial because Satan brought that trial on me. So, you know, somebody slapped me, so, and that guy wasn't saved, so I can slap him back. If it was a Christian, <laughs> I would have to turn the other cheek. <laughs> no, no, no. We have to always turn the other cheek, whether it be a Christian or an unsaved person, whether, it, whether the trial and the test is from God or from the devil, it doesn't matter. We have to always do the same thing. And what is that thing? That is the biblical thing. We have to always respond the right way in order to pass the test. And the right response is the righteous response, the biblical response. God's Word is the way we respond. So what I want to encourage you with today 
is for you to see your spiritual life as a process. Some of us need to press the play button. We've been on pause for way too long. We kind of think that, oh, well, then this is it, right? Yes, I'm here. I've left. At least I've left. I haven't arrived yet, but at least I've left. I've, I've turned into the right direction. I haven't walked yet, but I've turned. And so God is calling us up, calling us higher, calling us to action. And He's saying, be part of the process because that is where, that is how I end up producing fruits in your life, from roots to shoots to fruits, right? That is how He's going to bring you there, is through process. And part of this process is being tested. Part of this process is actually going through trials, as He says in Romans 5, 3. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in the testing. Rejoice in the trials. Rejoice in it, not for in it. You go like, well, if it is from Satan, I'll do the right thing. But I'll tell you why. Because if this test or this trial is from the devil, it becomes part of the category called all things. There's a category called all things. And if Satan brings something into your life, remember, this is also part of that category called all things. That God causes to work together for good, Right? Because God causes all things, both good and evil, to work together for good unto those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. So if you're going through a test, a trial, hard times, suffering, it's time for you to raise your hands and rejoice in it, not for it, in it, because God is using it to do something in your life. He's moving you. He's... He's about to promote you out of something. Now, I'm not into like, okay, you, you know where I'm at. So what I, what I want to encourage you with today is that you've got to see your spiritual life as a process. Because the truth is, you will be in process for the rest of your life. Welcome to the process called life. Single life is a process. Married life is a process. Parenting is a process. Aging is a process. But throughout every one of these stages, sanctification is the most important process of all. Because as I want to present to you today, that sanctification is in fact synonymous with growing in the Lord. Because oftentimes we talk about growing in the Lord and we don't, we don't put meat to the bones. We talk about growing in the Lord, but we don't quite know how to measure it. What does it mean to grow in the Lord? The process of sanctification is synonymous with growing in the Lord. I am not growing in the Lord if I'm not being sanctified. If I've opted out of that process of being sanctified, I have opted out of growing in the Lord. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. 
we are constantly called to become more and more like the Lord. And then one day, when we see Him, we will be as He is. But until that day, we are growing and growing from faith to faith. Here a little, there a little. So consider these few processes you will recognize in your own life, and you'll recognize them to be true. The first is that where you are, I want to just bring out the nuts and bolts here regarding process, and I want you to think about this because it's true for all of us. Where you are determines what you hear. What you hear determines what you're thinking about. And what you think often determines what you eventually believe. And what you believe always determines the outcome of your life. So the outcome of your life is in a very big way determined by where you choose to be. Where people choose to be says everything about them. Where people choose to go is a prophecy of where they will end up at. Because God designed life in such a way that decisions have consequences. And where you choose to go is where you've decided to end up at. And I'm saying that in both the positive and the negative because sometimes, like for instance today, you didn't have to be here, but you are. This is a good one. <laughs> you know, but there are places where you choose not to be, where you should choose not to be and should choose not to go whether it be physically or in your mind or in your heart. About two months ago, my mom and I went and we met with a couple. We actually didn't know that they were ministers, but this was a pastor's uh, ministry couple. And when they heard that I was also in the ministry, they opened up about their daughter who had just gone to college uh, three years before. And their daughter used to be in the ministry with them, used to worship with them sing, you know, lead worship and play, a, play the piano and help them set up and help them vacuum and help them run small groups and help them do everything. But she left high school. They went out on a limb and they took out a loan and they sent her to college only then for her to come back, a complete atheist, um, shaking her fist at God. But where you are determines what you hear. What you hear determines what you think about and what you think often determines what you end up believing and what you believe always determines the outcome of your life. And I told the lady, make sure to let your daughter know. She says she doesn't talk to me anymore. She came back from college, absolutely broke a relationship with her. I'm like, well, that was, a, that was a lot of money you paid to get rid of your child. Throw them to the wolves. Now, you might not think the principle is powerful, but I'll tell you what, it happens all the, all the time. And I said, make sure to tell your daughter the next time you do get to talk to her that don't forget that you get to choose whether you're going to shake your fist at God or not. But don't forget, He's the one that determines how many times you get to shake your fist. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, and David talking about choosing where to be, he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
It says a lot about a person who, who longs to be in the right place. It says a lot about a person. Now your flesh entices you to be in the wrong places. But don't forget, you command your mind, you command your heart, you command your flesh. Now, like I had to talk to my little six-year-old today, you command your attitude. And if you don't command your attitude, I'm going to command you. Right? <laughs> I was pointing at my wife, but I was meaning Gia. <laughs> so the conclusion here with the first point is that the places you prioritize sets off a series of probable scenarios and could, could be a part of a process for either good or evil in your life. And you wonder, like, why? Why, are, why am I fighting so many temptations? Well, brother, you, you're spending time where you shouldn't, <laughs> right? You're feeding your flesh on certain things that you shouldn't. And that's why temptation tends to, tends to overwhelm a person. If you would move away from whatever it is that's feeding your flesh, whether it be certain kind of movies or whatever you're watching or whoever you're with or wherever you go. It feeds your appetites. So make sure to go places that starves your appetite for the flesh and feeds your appetite for the Lord. You chose well this morning. The second process that I want to mention because this is where the rubber hits the road in so many ways is think about this. If you fix your mind and what you have, you might become arrogant. If you fix your mind on what you don't have, you might become envious. But if you fix your mind and your attention on heaven, you'll become grateful for both, for what you do have and for what you don't have. David prayed in Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may have become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And I read through that, and I, and I remember when I was part of the prosperity movement I, uh, and Word Faith, I was thinking about how that goes so contrary to what I believed, and that's why we never taught on that verse right there. <laughs> if you take my old Bible, you'll see that one was cut out. And I put a picture of Joel Osteen right in there. <laughs> David saying, give me neither poverty nor riches. Just give me what I need because I don't want to disown you. I don't want to ignore you because this is the problem that we have. We get busy. Let me show you how we get busy. When we have so much, we are, it causes us to become busy because of how much we have. And when we have nothing, we get so busy because we're trying to get more. And God says, you know, at the end of the day, it would be really helpful 
if what we did was, we said, God, what matters to me in life is not how to get more or how to use what I've got, but it is to make sure that my heart is set on you and that nothing grabs my attention away from you. If you fix your mind on what you have, you might become arrogant. If you fix your mind on what you don't, you might become covetous or envious. But if you fix your mind on the things of heaven, you'll thank God and you'll be grateful whether you have lots or little because your gratitude is not rooted in either. Your gratitude is rooted in who God is in your life. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 verse through 17, watch this quick. It says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where, they were, where there was no water, who brought, you, who brought you water out of the flint rock or flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and test you, that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Do you realize that everything you have is a test? And what you don't have is also a test. So you look at what you've got and, look in what you, and you look at what you're not and you're tested by it. Because what's your response? Oh, how our culture has failed this test. Where even now the gospel they preach and believe is the gospel that we have to look at what people don't have and we have to look at what people do have, and we must make sure that we take from, what, from those who have, give it to those who don't. At least everybody can be equal, no matter how hard they've worked or how little they've contributed. They just have to be equal. That is a, that is a dangerous evil from the pit of hell. Because I can tell you now, I don't give my children more than what I know they can handle. If their character is going to be destroyed, if they're going to be destroyed because they don't have character enough with what they've got, I'll take it away from them. And I've often wondered about this. Because I also don't believe that having a lot destroys you. I think it only magnifies what already is inside of you, right? The person who loves to gamble Give him, give him $1,000, guess what, guess what he's going to do? Yeah, <laughs> gamble more than what he would have before he got that 1000 So, we have to be wise when we ask God for things. Verse 17, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Nope. It was God. And every test, at least in that regard, is from the hand of God. 
the opportunities you face, these are from the hand of God. I'll give you another opportunity that I know is from the hand of God, repentance. You see, not everybody gets to repent. Not everybody gets the heart that wants to repent. But when there's an opportunity to repent, grab that opportunity and repent. Why? Because this is from the hand of God. This is part of the process of God humbling you. So we think, yeah, money is a test. Yes, it is. But so is everything else. Not having money is also a test. Relationships are tests. So the conclusion here is that what you consistently give your attention to becomes part of a process of either good or evil in your life. Number three, you cannot have a great life unless you have a pure life. You cannot have a pure life unless you have a pure mind. You cannot have a pure mind unless you have a renewed mind washed daily by God's Word. Many have all their needs met. They have everything they've thought they've ever wanted but are tormented because their mind torments them. Many live in high places and many, and, and the world envies them and desires to be where they're at. But they're tormented with depression because their mind is out of order. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. There's no transformation until the mind has been renewed. People generally attempt to change their lives in many different ways. They grab at straws when they try to change their lives. They read self-help books. They, they listen to motivational speakers. They leave their spouse for a better one. They change jobs in order to change their lives. They change towns. They change churches. They change friendship circles. They make New Year's resolutions every single year. But nothing brings true transformation until a person goes through the process of renewing their mind. They have a hard drive. Everyone has a hard drive. And until that, in, in, until the program is rewritten, you're going to keep pushing out the same information. You can move to another town. You're going to just create the same situation and same scenario. But until we have renewed our minds, we ourselves cannot be transformed, the Bible says. And we renew our minds how? According to God's thoughts. You start thinking God's thoughts after Him. So our conclusion here is that true transformation doesn't come overnight, but through the process of renewing your mind according to Scripture. Now, since we've concluded that everything alive grows, and the proof that something is dead is the fact that it no longer grows, let me say that again. How do you know something is alive? It's growing. How do you know something has died? It's no longer growing. Usually decomposing, <coughs> right? In, in, with that in view, let me ask you the million-dollar question for, question for today. The million-dollar question for today is, have you grown in the Lord this last year? 
If you have, in what way have you grown in Christ? In what way have you matured in Christ? Like a tree, how do we know it's mature? It's got fruits. <coughs> so if you have, in what way have you matured in Christ? And can you list five things that would show your growth in the Lord? You see, there is no way, you know, I want to just quickly throw this at you, all right? You stand there like with a baseball bat, and I'm going to throw the ball at you, okay? See how you hit this one. There is no way of measuring your growth in the Lord, in Christ, other than measuring your understanding of Scriptures and your increased submission to those Scriptures. Follow what I'm saying? Because if, if somebody asked me, how have you grown in Christ over this last year? Give me five ways. Excuse me. No, I'm good. And I try to, try to figure it out. How can I prove that I've grown in the Lord? Because I still get annoyed here and there. I still snap at people and I still make mistakes and I still skip a day from reading the Word and I still, you know... Worship, and then I catch myself thinking about standing here singing, and I'm thinking like, man, was I really thinking about what movie to watch tonight? <laughs> you know, uh, and all the perfect ones said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> standing here worshiping, thinking, man, do I love Tina's shoes. Love those new shoes. <laughs> man, I should be further in the Lord by now. Well, is that really how to measure how far you've grown in the Lord and how you've matured in Christ? Is that how you measure the process of maturity? I will suggest not. In other words, the only possible way for you to measure your growing in Christ is by your, the process of sanctification. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, and He is praying for you, and He said, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctification is the fact that the Lord is growing you. He's moving you. He's cleaning you up. He's bringing you out of the world into the kingdom. He's sanctifying you. He's causing you to think more and more like Him, to walk more and more in a way that will glorify Him. To be sanctified is to take the old off and to put the new on. And Jesus prayed and said, Sanctify them in the truth. In other words, you were saying there's no other possible way for them to take off the old and put on the new. There's no other way for them to straighten out their thoughts and cleanse their hearts. There's no other way for them to have a pure mind, uh, therefore have, end up having a pure life and a great life. There's no way for them to do that outside of truth. Truth is what matters. And then he says, your word is truth. 
In other words, God, I pray you put them through the sanctifying process by allowing them to grow in your word. I want to make this statement. And this will be the ball I will pitch at you as you're about to swing at it. The foundation of all spiritual progress is in relation to divine truth. The foundation of all your spiritual progress, or the only way, the foundation of you growing in Christ and maturing in the Spirit, the foundation of all of that is in relation to the divine truth. You see, there is no sanctifying power in human intuition. There is no sanctifying power in human insight. There is no sanctifying power in the fact that, yeah, I've experienced so much and now I'm here in life. There's no sanctifying power in science. <laughs> There's no sanctifying power in self-help. There's no sanctifying power in personal development. There is no sanctifying power in financial progress or growing in influence and significance on the job. The only means of growing and maturing in the Lord is by divine truth. His word is truth. Follow me in this. When Jesus taught in the synagogue, he taught from the Holy Scriptures. When Jesus fulfilled all prophecy, he did so by fulfilling Holy Scriptures. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he responded to temptation by quoting scriptures. And here we have in John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your scriptures is truth. And it is the scriptures that washes you, cleanses you, sanctifies you, and causes you to grow up in the things of God and in the Lord. So if somebody had to ask you if you have grown in the Lord this past year, that's the question that's really been asked. That's the question. It is in relation to the truth of God. How much more of it do you know? And how much more of what you know do you submit to and walk out? I want to just really drive this point home because that's what today is about. If somebody had to ask you, brother, have you grown in the Lord this last year? You have to Answer that in relation to how much more now have you learned from Scripture and are you now giving yourself to? How much more of Scriptures are you giving yourself to? Most people will say, I've grown in the Lord because I am a lot more passionate about Jesus right now than what I was last year, I think. <laughs> we don't even have to talk about that. You know, it's just, it's garbage. It's nonsense. You're passionate about the truth of what Jesus has taught you. Otherwise, you're not passionate about Him at all. Because people divorce Jesus from His Word, and you can't do that. That's how you fall into false religions. I honor God by honoring His Word. I submit to God by submitting to His Word. I love God because I love His Word. His Word tells me about Him. His Word tells me what He requires. 
But emotionalism is in fact a religion because it's people serving the God of their imagination and of their own making. Now, I'm not saying that we are not emotional towards the Lord. Of course we are. Of course we are. But that's not who we serve, our emotions. That's not what we run after. That's not what we give ourselves to. You have to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. We have to love God. We have to love Him for who He is instead of falling in love with love. You know how people do that, right? Oh, they can't wait to get married. They can't wait to get married. Marriage, marriage is just, the, it becomes like an idol. They just, oh, they can't wait because God's plan for their lives is going to start the moment they say, I do. Now I'm in God's perfect, perfect plan for my life, you know. Now I'm in God's perfect will for my life. No, no, no. That's not really how it works. All single people aren't out of God's will for their life. <laughs> Let's say the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, my point is just sometimes people make such an idol of getting, of getting married, right? That's what they live for. And when they get there, usually they're super disappointed. No kidding. And, 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 and of course, they will be. Why? Because they didn't fall in love with the person that they are marrying. No, no, they fell in love with love, the idea of it. And in exactly the same way, people worship passionately with the idea of something they know nothing about. That's what I was saying. And we have to learn to love the Word of God. Not just be convicted by it, but love it also. The lack of biblical knowledge limits your spiritual progress. The lack of biblical knowledge limits your spiritual progress. There is no other way for you to experience spiritual progress and grow outside of sanctification through spiritual edification. In other words, I cannot grow. I cannot grow without being sanctified. I cannot be sanctified without knowing the Word. Sanctify them with your truth. Your Word is truth. And here is our process. I cannot, be, I cannot grow in the Lord if I'm not being sanctified. I cannot be sanctified if I don't know the Word. Only this true paradigm of sanctification, which is basically the Word of God, only this true paradigm of sanctification will help you push back against the flesh. Oh, how we have tried. We have white-knuckled every problem in our life, every single vice we've ever had. We've white-knuckled it. We tried to stop doing what we keep, what we tend to do and we know we shouldn't do it and we try to every single thing we could to stop doing the wrong things but we've got to realize that only the true this true paradigm of sanctification like you're only sanctified by the truth of God and the truth of God is the word of God only until we give ourselves to this process of sanctification are we able to push back against the flesh are we able to restrain the enticement and the temptation from the flesh? 
You see, legalism won't stop you. Legalism can't stop your flesh. Spiritualism won't help you. Pragmatism can't. Sacramentalism simply cannot push back against the flesh. Mysticism won't get you to the place of restraining the flesh. But sanctification in the truth of God, which is the Word of God, is the only possible way for us to grow in the Lord. You may ask, how then do I know if I have grown in the Lord? How do you answer that question today? What are the signs that shows that I've grown in the Lord? And in closing, I'll only offer you three thoughts in regard to this question. You know you have grown in the Lord, number one, when you've gone beyond convictions. When you've gone beyond just convictions to having affections for the one you serve. When your convictions have become your affections. David says, oh, how I love your word. It's not just that his word was convicting him and straightening him out and discipling him. No, he said, how I love your word. How many of you love God's correction? Yeah, it's a difficult thing. But you can come to the place where you actually love the fact that, thank God I'm being corrected by God because He said, those He loves, He corrects. <laughs> How do I know I've grown in the Lord is when I've gone beyond conviction to affection. How do I know that I've grown in the Lord is when it is no longer about figuring out theology in order to have the right answers. But when studying Scripture has become an exercise in knowing God because you love God. Why do you go to Scriptures? Do you go to Scriptures in order to have an argument and be right the next time the family gathers? <laughs> Is that why you study Scriptures? Do you study Scriptures because you use it as a band-aid and you just patch up every little hour you have? Like... Oh, I'm disappointed. Let me get a verse that will inspire me. <laughs> you know, Is that how you study scriptures? Or do you study scriptures because you love the God who spoke these words? And you love learning about who He is. Is it your affection? And if it is, you are growing in the Lord. If it's about knowing God, you are growing in the Lord. Number three, you know you have grown in the Lord when your Christianity is no longer about attempting to grasp how much God's love, God loves you, but it has become in, your, in you an eagerness to declare your love for God. How eager are you becoming to declare your love for God? Or are you still just trying to prove that God loves you? And see... How much can you get away with now that you realize God loves you? <laughs> no, you've come to the place where it's now all about how can you declare your love for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you help us understand that we are currently in a process. We are in a process of being sanctified. 
Your word is currently sanctifying us. Your truth is sanctifying us. Scripture is sanctifying us. And the more we learn and the more we know and the more we give ourselves to what we've learned and know, the more we are growing in you. And God, I pray that we will go beyond just having a conviction for what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is false. That we go beyond that conviction to wanting to study scriptures because we love you. That we can come to the place where everything we do is because we love you. The way we do it is because we love you. The way we, we nurture our marriage is because we love you. The way we raise our children is because we love you. The way we go to work in the morning is because we love you. The way we serve is because we love you. I thank you, Father God, that we can grow in knowing you, being more affectionate towards you, because your word, your doctrine, has worked a miracle inside of us. Amen. 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 Praise God.